Okay, so this is going to be a super duper quick practice run because the service is going to start in half an hour and I, I just finished putting together slides and my text. I know I'm super last minute, but here it goes. This is my practice run, probably the only one I'll get uh, before preaching it at uh, the Chinese church. So let's look at this. Tomorrow is Rice Dumpling Festival Day when we will eat rice dumplings or zhongzi. The story is there's this poet named Zhu Yuan, exiled by the king for treason against his country. And so he kills himself by jumping into the river. But people love Zhu Yuan so much that they started throwing rice dumplings into the river so the fish would eat the dumplings uh, instead of Chu Yuan's dead body. Yeah, I know, it's, that's, that's kind of gross. <laughs> but here's my attempt at making rice dumplings and I use a plastic bag. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we're going to see a David, who is a beloved leader, and he is exiled by the king. But he gets a chance to take revenge and for himself to become the king. But the thing is, he doesn't take it. He doesn't do that revenge act. Verse 19, Saul says, when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? Meaning, why? Why didn't you do it? If it were me, I would definitely take that revenge on you. And the answer is, there is a better way. There is a better way of standing up to injustice, standing up to bullies and bad guys. And that better way is showing mercy. It's showing forgiveness to our enemies. Now, I, I know, I know that's really hard. But what we're saying is God is showing you mercy. God is showing you his forgiveness and his salvation. So you're going to have three points from today. There is opportunity, risk, and reward. Those are our three points from 1 Samuel chapter 24, opportunity, risk, and reward. So opportunity and verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able or chosen young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So straight away, you know, Saul goes after David. He's just come back from fighting a huge battle with the Philistines. Doesn't matter. He goes into another battle with 3,000 men. Why? <laughs> because he really hates David. That's why he really wants to kill him. But also, you know, Saul is what I call an opportunistic guy. That is, he seizes every opportunity doesn't let it go to waste. You know, in a poker game, Saul goes all in all the time. And that's what he does back in chapters 20 and 21 and 22 and 23 again and again and again. What happens is the same thing. Saul hears that David is in this place or that place and he sends everything he's got in that direction. Every soldier, every troop member, and now you might be thinking, you know, this guy uses all his resources like water. You know, that's so wasteful. That's kind of foolish and that's kind of stupid to waste your resources like that. Ah, but you see, Saul knows something that you don't. You know, Saul knows I only need to win once and I'll win big. You see, David, he can win as many battles as he likes, but he loses once and he's dead. But I'm the king. 
and I can play this game all day long. And sadly, that's why rich people, powerful people, influential people like Saul, they always win in the end. They don't need to win big, they just need to win once. But what if, what if somehow the tables were turned and somehow David and Saul exchanged places such that it was David who had the upper hand, you know, David who was given that golden opportunity. And this is verse three. Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to <laughs> relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave of all places, of all places to go to the toilet. I mean, there are so many caves, but Saul chose this cave to do his business. I mean, this cave where David and 600 men are hiding and kind of like watching King Saul pull down his pants right in front of them. <laughs> Did you know, by the way, that one in six people, one in six people have confessed to being on the toilet while being on Zoom? Those of you with your screens off, you know, you thinking, you know, you're safe. You know, he can't see me. You know, suddenly and then you hear, boosh, you hear the toilet flush. <laughs> Saul thinks, you know, I'm safe. This is my Saul me time. I can relax. I am safe in this cave. Nobody can see me. Nobody can touch me. Nobody can hurt me except 600 men <laughs> in that same cave watching him do his business from his backside. You know, what a view. Verse 4, the men said, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord has me. He said, they say to, to David, the Lord spoke this to you when he said, I will give your enemy into your hands to do with whatever you want to do as you wish. Meaning they're saying to David, stick it to the man. They're quoting the Bible to David. And the idea is no one's going to blame you if you took full advantage of this situation. Not even God, because Saul, he deserves it. You know, he would do the same thing to you if he had half the chance. And the question is, would you do it back to him? Would you do it back to him? You know, someone sends you that embarrassing photo or someone leaves their phone unlocked in front of you, would you take that next logical step of exposing that enemy of yours and shaming him in front of all your friends? You know, I think even David, even David was tempted to do this. Verse four, then David crept up unnoticed and cut off, snip, snip, the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. It's kind of like that scene from Mission Impossible in where, you know, where Tom Cruise, he breaks into the Pentagon. You know, David uses his ninja-like skills to cut off the corner of Saul's um, underpants. <laughs> but he feels bad. He feels bad. David was conscience-stricken, he says in verse 5. He feels bad. Saul has no idea what's going on. Verse 7, Saul left the cave and went on his way. But David, you know, he feels bad. And the thing is, he scolds his, his, his men in verse 6. You know, he said to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. 
or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed or chosen king of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked. He scolded his men. He didn't allow them to attack Saul. Now, if I were one of those 600 men, I, uh, I would be confused. And I would be thinking, what's wrong with you? You, know, you wasted this opportunity. I mean, if you think about it, if it was Saul in your shoes, if he had a chance to kill you, would he do it? I mean, 100%, of course, he would take that chance. But something about David's conscience, something in him just went, no, no, this is, this is not the right way. This is not God's way. Because back in chapter 15, actually something very similar happened with Saul when he tore away a piece of clothing belonging to Samuel the prophet. And Samuel says to him then, God has torn the kingdom away from you. God has given the kingdom to someone better than you. You tear this robe because you really want to hold on to this power to this kingdom while God has just given it to someone else. And David knew, I can't sink to that kind of level, even if it means gaining the kingdom of God. And so the first point to look at is just opportunity. You know, the opportunity. And it's saying don't pay back evil for evil, but pay back evil with good. This is Romans 12, 17, by the way. And that means at times not taking that opportunity, not rushing in with rage and taking revenge, but holding back and maybe even letting that opportunity, letting that rage pass you by. Because just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should take revenge, pay back evil for evil, but we should always find real opportunities to bless, to do good, to love even our enemies. And that's our first point, opportunity. But secondly, we're going to look at risk, risk. And this is verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. And I mean, you know, of all the stupid things that David could have done that day. You know, number one, not killing Saul. Number two, cutting off his underpants. Of all the stupid, craziest things David could have done, this, this is the stupidest. Waiting until Saul goes out of the cave and then shouting behind him going, Yoo-hoo, here I am, in front of 3,000 soldiers. That was either very brave or very idiotic. But that's what he does. Saul turns back and he sees this man he's been hunting. He sees David face on the ground, but his hand waving his underpants, <laughs> his piece of clothing in the air. This is verse 11. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand, well, except his underpants, to indicate that I'm guilty of any wrongdoing or rebellion. In other words, David wants him to see his innocence, to see his righteousness, to see his lowliness, his bowing to him. But whatever it was, David wanted Saul to see something, something with his own eyes. Now, I went back to the office, um, my, my workplace, after a year of working at home. And I, I've got to be honest, it was really strange meeting people for real 
real people again in the office. In fact, here's a picture of us uh, in the office meeting together for the first time during coffee. Yeah, <laughs> that's us. <laughs> um, and, you know, David calls Saul, you know, my father, my Lord, and my king. And what he wanted Saul to see, I think, was their relationship. You know, they lost that relationship, but David wanted to see that relationship again between Saul and David, but also that relationship between Saul and God. Verse 14, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing, a dead dog or a flea? Meaning, imagine a dead dog. Can you see it? Can you smell it? And then you zoom in on this dead dog's fur and you see a flea. And David says, I'm that flea on the fur of this dead dog. You know, meaning I'm nobody compared to you. You are a king, a lord, a master. I'm not worthy of all this hatred and all this attention. But, verse 15, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hands, meaning you can use all your power, all your privilege to kill me now, but know this, God is on my side, and I know he will save me from your hands. Now the thing is, David could have said all this to himself from the comfort of his cave. God will save me, God will save me, I know that God will save me, okay, I trust in you. But he steps out of his comfort zone, out of the cave, to say all this to Saul. I know that God will save me. Why? Why? Because it's not for his benefit that he's saying this. He's saying this for Saul's benefit. And I call that risk. You see, risk, you know, it's trying to make your enemy your friend again. And that's very risky because it doesn't always work. You're putting yourself out there to reach out in love to someone who hates your guts. You know, David calls Saul my father. And you know, for some of us, that might literally be true. It's someone we love, someone we know, who's become someone who hates our guts. Trusting in God doesn't just mean I know that God will save me, but that I pray that God will save you too. It means, well, telling them the gospel, not just to people we like, but especially to people who do not like us. And the risk is this, we will get hurt. There'll be times when we will be disappointed. We might be shouted at or even, even worse. But it is a risk that we will always take whenever we open our mouths and we share Jesus with someone who does not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our second point, crossing that risk barrier, that pain barrier to reach out to someone else with that gospel of hope and love and forgiveness of God. Risk. But finally, reward. And this is verse 16. Verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul responded and Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. Yeah. 
I know it. It sounds. It sounds really fake. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It, it's because two chapters later, Saul wants to kill him again. Today he says, ah, "Sorry." Tomorrow he says, "I'm going to kill you again." <laughs> so it's fake. It's temporary. It's repentance in the short term. But you know, in in a for what it's worth, Saul didn't kill him. He could have. He had three thousand people. He was looking for him. He could have killed him that day, but he didn't. And I think, in a way, he did feel sorry. In a way, David's words did reach his heart. He didn't take that opportunity, and he didn't make the most of it. He 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 let it go go by, because I think he really did feel that regret, that shame, that guilt, at least for that moment. Of time, but you know, for all the things that he says, he says something even more interesting in verse twenty. He says, "I know that you'll be the king." That's that's amazing. You know, he has three thousand of his men surrounding him. By the way, and he says to this rebel, this criminal, "You are the real king. I'm not. God is going to give the kingdom over into your hands." Not because you know David has a knife to his throat or to somewhere else in his body. Not even that David has more men. You know David has six hundred, Saul has three thousand. Not even because David was so charismatic. I mean, he says, "I'm a flea, I'm a dog." That's not a very charismatic kind of speech. But because he sees in David something that he does not have, and that's his lowliness, and that's his humility. You know, there's this clip from America's Got Talent (AGT) this week about this singer named Nightbird, and it's amazing singer who gets the golden buzzer from Simon Cowell. You really should watch it; it's really, really amazing. But the thing I found out about this singer just last night was that she's a Christian, and she's a Christian who's had three cancers before the age of 30. She went through a divorce that she didn't want to. But she still believes that God hears and God answers her prayer. And in a blog post, Nightbird talks about how she spent three months during lockdown, lying on the bathroom floor, vomiting herself empty, crying out to God for help and for healing. I honestly, I honestly cannot imagine that level of depression and of. Pain. Three months on the cold bathroom floor, just broken before God. But then、uh, she writes this. You know,、um, I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. God is on the bathroom floor. Imagine, imagine what if. Had killed Saul that day. What would have happened? You know, he would become a king. You know, all his problems would have been solved. He would have become a king, but he would have become a king like Saul. Isn't that true? And you know, if you're a Christian, I hope you know that that's not the kind of king that we have. And if you're here, you're not a Christian. I hope that that's not the kind of king that. You You know when Jesus Christ was on the cross. Do you remember what they said to him? They said to him, "Come down, and we'll believe in you." You know, imagine if Jesus actually did that. He was on the cross and he goes, "Ta da!" <laughs> Now, do you believe or not? Do you believe or not? They probably would, but it wouldn't be out of faith, out of trust, out of love. You'll be out of fear, or maybe even of impressiveness. Wow, look at that! But that's not 
the kind of God we have. God is not trying to impress you today with his display of power. He is with you on the bathroom floor. You know, like Nightbird says, to see this God, we have to look not up, but lower. Not at King Saul, but at King David. Not at our strength, but at God's weakness displayed on the cross. Because it's there that we see God's brokenness, God's humility, God's death for us, revealing his true power working in us, for us, and through us. Look lower and see your king. So opportunity, risk, and reward. What's the reward? Hebrews 12 tells us. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorned his shame, and sits right now at the right hand of the Father. The reward, in other words, it's joy. You know, it's, it's not power, it's not privilege, it's joy of God's approval, God's love from God and God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for that opportunity to repay evil with good, not evil with evil. Thank you for that, and we pray for more opportunities like that. Thank you also for the risk of stepping out into our out of our comfort zones. And it is worth it if it means that our enemies can actually become our friends in Christ. So thank you for that as well. But again, you know, finally, thank you for that promise and that hope for that reward, that joy that was set before Jesus that enabled him to endure the cross. And we want that same joy. We want that same love from you and you alone. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. This has just been my practice run for my talk that I'm going to be delivering in 15 minutes' time at a church that I'm invited to. Um, yeah, thanks for watching. Um, take care. God bless. Bye-bye. <laughs>